Our scripture reading this morning is Acts 4, verses 1 through 12, if you can turn with me. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. I hope you listened really closely to that reading. It's a powerful reading. And when you go to the book of Acts... Uh, when I hear, when I hear those, and what I think when I hear those kind of readings is, I want to be like that. I mean, you, you see Peter and John standing there, and they're, they're full of conviction. They believe in the resurrection. They believe in Jesus, and, and they've got to share it. And even when they're, they're threatened with their lives, they won't stop sharing it. Um, they're bold enough to say to these people, it, it's you that crucified the Son of God. They're convicted enough to say, let me just tell you guys, there's no other name under heaven by which you can be saved than Jesus Christ. And so I I hear those words and I think, my goodness, I sure want to be that way. How about you? I'd like to be that bold. I'd like to be that excited, that passionate about Jesus Christ. But, But not only do I say that, but I hope as a church, we say that we'd like to be like that. And we read about that church there. I mean, did you hear how it had exploded? I mean, there's over 5,000, and they're just counting the men. I mean, just a couple of chapters before this, we see it began with 3,000 people. Now it's exploded to 5,000. And, and we think together, my goodness, we would like to be that way. Wouldn't it be exciting to be a part of a church like that? Landmarks are part of... Uh, a movement in American religious history called the, the Restoration Movement. And it was an incredible movement that said, we want to be that church. We read about that and we think, let's be that church. Why can't that same kind of incredible body of Christ exist in our world today? I love the story of the old blind preacher who got so caught up in the book of Acts that one day he was preaching from it and his Bible was in Braille and he just started to run his hand across the Braille of the book of Acts 
And he just prayed over and over again, Lord, do it again. Lord, do it again. Lord, do it again. We like to be that way. But what's the key? How do you become like these guys? We know Peter and John weren't always this way. What's the key? Go with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It's the very next verse. And it's an incredible verse that tells us how we can become that way. In fact, I'd like you to read this out loud with me. This is the theme of our, our new series, Acts 4.13. Let's read out loud, and hopefully we'll get the Spirit there. Read with me. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. What a verse. They, they saw Peter and John. Come on. Just a few days ago, we've seen Peter deny that he even knew the Lord. And we, we go through the Gospels, and we see that Peter's an absolute disaster. He never says anything right. Jesus is always having to rebuke him. One time he says he's the son of God and everybody claps. The next verse he tells Jesus not to go to the cross and Jesus rebukes. He's walking on the water, he begins to sink. He's on the Mount of Transfiguration, he says, let's worship Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. He, he can't get it right and now we see him so changed. And then we've got John. I mean, our few glimpses of John in the Gospels would never tell us he's going to be this kind of guy. I mean, at one point, there's a Samaritan village that won't listen to Jesus. And John turns to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you want us to handle this, we will. Just command us, and we'll call down fire from heaven, and we will incinerate these people. And Jesus has to rebuke him. And then in another place, him and his brother James come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we know you're about to set up your kingdom, and we think that's a really cool idea, but we think it would be even better if we could be the vice presidents. I mean... Who would have anticipated that these are the men? Certainly not the people there. I mean, the, the people are the word here. They're astonished. They're amazed. They know these are unschooled. What does that mean? They've not been to the Jewish schools of learning. They've not been under a recognized rabbi. They've not been to the proper schools. How do they know so much? They're ordinary how in the world are they doing such extraordinary things when they're just ordinary people like me and you and they're doing something great? And even the critics knew the answer. They had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus and it changed them. When we started reading the book of Mark six months ago, we saw in Mark chapter 2 when he called the apostles. Here's a literal quotation. He called them to be with him. He called them to be with him. That was, that, well, that was, his, that was his program to change him. And now we get over to Acts chapter 4, verse 13, and they're changed men, and they're bold, and they're brave, and they're convicted. And we find out, yes, they had been with Jesus, and it changed them. Guys, here's the principle we got to catch this morning. It's so simple. Here it is. is that you become like the people you hang out with. It's just, it's just as true as anything. 
I mean, you, you ever hung out with someone? I mean, it, this goes both ways. Good or bad, doesn't it? You ever hung out with somebody with really bad language? Maybe somebody, in, in, in before long, it started coming out of your mouth? Or, or maybe you were the one with the bad language, and you hung out with somebody with some really good language, and, and, and you begin to, to catch yourself? Or you just with someone real reactionary, you know? used to watch Alabama football games with a guy who would just scream at the TV. You know, just, just go berserk. And after a few months, I found myself screaming at the TV. I mean, you become like the people you hang out with. It's just, it's just true. We tell that to our teenagers, but guys, it's the truth with us adults. I mean, you want to be a spiritual person, you hang out with spiritual people. You want to be negative? Hang out with negative people. You become like them. That's just, that's just the way it is. I mean, you've probably heard this study that says that even married couples, after a long period of time, they start becoming like each other. One study says they even start looking like each other. You notice I said that when Stephanie's gone today, all right? It would scare her to death, all right? It's just the principle of life, and it's a principle of spiritual growth, is you become like the people you're around. You want to really change, you change the people you've been around. You want to really grow, you start hanging out with Jesus. I mean, even the critics go, great day, what's going on here? Peter and John, we know about these dudes. They're nothing special. They're ordinary. They're unschooled. What's happened to them? Oh, great day. They've been with Jesus, and he's rubbed off on them. And so, guys, that is the key to us becoming different is that we have been with Jesus. That's how we change. That's how we are marked. See, you got to understand this. When we talk about the Gospels and we talk about Acts, you see, we've always read the book of Acts and we go, man, we want to be like that church. I want to be like those people, man. I want to be just as bold as Peter and John. And that's, that's a good idea. But, but listen to me. Understand this. Acts is the effect material, okay? I mean, it's like looking at a great weightlifter and going, man, I want to look like that guy does. Well, you're just seeing the effect. You're not seeing the cause. Or, 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 or you, you run into a, a brilliant poet and you think, man, I wish I could write that way. I wish I could express things that way. Guys, what you've seen is the effect of years and years of study and of discipline. You see, and guys, when we get to Acts and we go, whoa, let's be that church. Here's our problem, guys. That's the effect material. And just coming in here and going, we need to be like the church of Acts is not going to get us anywhere. Why? Because the cause material is the Gospels. You see, listen to me. Acts would have never happened without Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so as a church, we made a big mistake when we flew over to Acts and skipped the Gospels, and we went, let's be that church. And then we just said, let's be that church, and we didn't become that church. Why? Because if if we want to be that church, and we want to be those people, then what we've got to do is we've got to spend time with Jesus. We've got to be with Him. And that's why, church, for the last six months, we have studied the book of Mark. Because, guys, for us to be changed, we've got to be with Jesus. That's what happened to these guys. They were marked. What's the word marked mean? It means they were changed. They were permanently changed. 
It was noticeable. When someone's marked, it's noticeable. They've been set aside to be gods. They've been marked as gods. And it happens because of the time they spent with Jesus. So let's look back just for a moment about how Jesus marked their lives. How did this happen? What do we see as we read through the Gospels about the way Jesus molded these people? Maybe we'll get an idea about the way God molds us, all right? Six points here. Number one, Jesus saw their potential, all right? He sees their potential. When Jesus looks at them, he looks beyond what a mess they are. I mean, John has a bad temper, no question about it. John is egotistical. You read it all through the Gospels. He's proud. Jesus, though, sees him as the disciple whom he loved. And history records John as the disciple of love. You see the transformation? He was one way. Jesus saw him another way. And he became what Jesus saw. Peter is an absolute class blabbermouth. Peter is unstable, to say the least. But Jesus meets him when his name was Simon, and he says, I'd like to rename you Peter, which means what? Rock. You think anybody laughed on that day? That's a joke. You're a rock? I mean, you read through the three years of the Gospels? No rock there. But now we get over to Acts, and what Jesus saw in him told him he has become. How many of us have been transformed because someone looked at us as better than we were? Somebody believed in us. I know mine was an old widow lady who grew up in our church who would stick a Bible in my hand and take me somewhere and say, read it. Or take me to a widow's house and say, pray. Or take me to the nursing home and say, lead a devotional. She saw in me what I didn't see in myself. And I've had people like that my whole life. You probably have too. Who somehow could look past the mess of our lives and see the potential. Guys, it takes nobody sharp to pick out our faults. Those are obvious, right? If we want to change, sometimes we think, well, I'm going to change somebody. Here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to confront them with their faults constantly. And I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but that is not where you start. You see them for more than they can be. Number two, he accepted them as is. Wasn't that a beautiful song we sang earlier, just as I am? That's, that's the way God accepts us. He accepts us as is. Because there's, a, there's a, a ministry philosophy that you can pick on, pick up as soon as you walk into a ministry, as soon as you walk into a church. And, and here's, here's one philosophy. We've talked about this. Is that, that you, um, if you'll really behave and get your life right, then you can belong in this church. And so you, you come in and immediately we're going to pick out your flaws and, and name them. And you're going to be jumped all over. Sounds like it should work, but it doesn't work. The other philosophy is what I believe is Jesus' philosophy. You allow people to belong, and then later on, they will grow to behave. 
You see, but if you start over here with behave, let's say somebody comes in here and they got an alcoholic problem. And the first thing we do is say, hey, we got to talk to you about this, man. We know because we've heard about you. you got an alcohol problem and, and, and we got to get together and you got to stop it. Or somebody comes in from your work and they got a language problem and you know it. And you say, buddy, you better go talk to him because you won't believe his language. And the first thing we do right off the bat is, can I meet with you? And I'm going to take the guy to lunch and say, I hear you got a really bad language problem. You need to clear that up because you're coming to church with us. Or even a couple comes here and they're living together out of wedlock. And then the first thing we do is say, you guys better stop living together. Or somebody worries too much. That's a sin too, you know. And the first thing we say, you know, I remember you. I've known you for years, and I'm so glad you're here. But I know you're a worry wart, and you've got to stop that to be a part of this church. That, 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 that doesn't work. If you wait for people to behave before you treat them like they belong, they are never going to change. But if you will, like Jesus, allow them to belong, then they can change. And that's what Jesus did with these guys. He took them as is. And as a church, guys, that's what we've got to do. Why do we expect people who don't know Jesus to come in here and act like they know Jesus? Why is our expectation is that i got to go out in the world and correct what everybody's doing? Why am I shocked that sinners sin? No shocker there. But do I have the courage to look past that? To overlook the bad language? To see their potential? To verbalize it, despite the mess I see in their life right now? And do we as a church, are we able to embrace them and love them? And yes, at some point challenge them? And that's where it starts. It starts with accepting people as is. And that brings us to number three. And then Jesus challenged them. It's not where he started, but that's where he went. I love the story of Jesus and the adulterous woman. I think it says everything I'm trying to say right now. Jesus said to this woman caught in the act of adultery, I don't condemn you. I'm not starting with condemnation. Is she guilty? Absolutely. Is she sinned? Yes. Does she deserve punishment? No doubt. But that's not where Jesus started. I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Can you imagine that? The perfect son of God. Can you imagine what that meant to her? I don't condemn you. That's where we start with people. And then Jesus said to her, but here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to go and sin no more. My friends, when people know you love them and you accept them, then you can challenge them. But if you challenge them before you've loved them, it's going to backfire on you every time. And that's why so many people come into our churches that are sinners and walk away because that's what they feel. They feel condemnation, they feel judgment. And who wants to feel that way? But you love them. You lay your life down for them. And then you got to say, you know what? <sighs> Could we get together and work on this language issue? Um, Could I help you guys get married? Because I see it working. I've seen two couples in the last six months come to this church, living together, not a word said to them, but they would come to me and say, we know what we're doing is wrong, and we want to make it right. Praise God. Amen? Well, you guys listen to me. The Jesus style works. The church style doesn't work. 
He challenged them. My goodness. Peter and John, talking about two guys, men, they are challenged. Their worldview is challenged. And when Peter tells Jesus not to go to the cross, Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. I mean, John, you know, who wants to be the head honcho in the kingdom is told, you don't even know what you're talking about, man. If you want to be great in my kingdom, you need to be a servant. Or don't get the idea that Jesus, you know, we go to these crazy extremes, don't we? Either we become this condemnation church where you feel it the moment you walk in. It's just like, everybody's watching. If I dressed right, do I look right? Or or sometimes we swing over to this other crazy side where it's like, oh, it's just grace. We don't care what you do. You come here and we just, we uh, will never say a word about it. My friends, that's not Jesus either. But we start with belonging. And then we help people to behave. And that's what happens with these guys. That's how they're marked by Jesus. Now look at number four here. Jesus was patient with them. I mean, in the midst of all this. Do they change quickly? No. Do you change quickly? No. Do I change quickly? No. Which I did. I mean, Jesus spends three years with these guys. And the most frustrating thing, in my estimation, of reading the Gospels is, is how messed up they are. I mean, you know, as we've gone through the Gospel of Mark, how many times has Jesus been frustrated with these guys? You are so dull, he says. It's so hard for you to learn. I mean, would you stop acting that way? I mean, he is, he's frustrated with them. But but here's here's what I would have done. I would have kicked them out. I would have thought, you know what? I picked wrong on these first 12. Absolutely. I did not run the right battery test. Because these guys are not going to change the world. And I would have met with them all one day and said, I like you guys. And you all have a nice personality. (laughs) You ever had a woman say that to you? It's always a bad sign. You have a nice personality. I'm about to break your heart. I mean, you have a, you, you, you got a really, really nice personality. But you guys just aren't apostle material. Come on, man. You blow it. I'm going to leave my calls in your hands. Give me a break. Uh, guys, go on. You can come to church when you want to. But I'm starting with 12 more guys. No, for three years, he invested his life in them. Because Jesus understood that spiritual growth is more crockpot than microwave. You understand what I'm saying? It's slow. It's really slow. We like it to be microwave, but it's slow. Number five, Jesus modeled what he taught. He absolutely modeled it. The book of Acts starts with these words, Acts 1 verse 1, what Jesus began to do and teach. What made Jesus so powerful is is that he never asked anybody to do anything he wouldn't do. He lived it. And guys, the greatest teaching is not what I'm doing right now. I'd love to believe it is, but it's not. The greatest teaching is the way you live out there, right? And that's what made Jesus so powerful. When Jesus says, you've got to lay up your cross, he takes up his cross. When Jesus says, you've got to sacrifice your life, he sacrifices his life. Because it's a powerful combination when someone begins to do and teach. When you can see the truth of what they're telling you in flesh and blood. Yesterday, I um, went to Nashville to a funeral of a great man. Uh, he was an elder of the church in Tuscaloosa we served in for years. His name was Bob Keith. Uh, him and his wife, Edith, were incredible, incredible people. Bob had gone to Harding University and majored in Bible and marketing. But every time he got up to preach, he got so hoarse he couldn't keep preaching. 
And so he decided he wouldn't preach, so he went into business. He got his MBA, and uh, he was in the paper business, worked for some big paper companies. And he ended up in the long run becoming a multimillionaire, made a ton of money. He came up with this idea of all the airlines, let's say you have all these airlines, instead of them going through regional paper companies, he started something called affiliated paper company where they could go to him and, and they, would, they could order their paper for all their planes all over the world. The largest paper business in the world. He was he an was incredible businessman. And what I would say is thank God he became a businessman and not a preacher because he lived it out. One of his first interviews was with a big paper company, and he went out to eat with a guy. And uh, it was obvious the guy was drinking alcohol, and Bob didn't drink. That was just his conviction. And the man said, well, won't you take some? And he said, no, I'm not. It wasn't judgmental, just that's what he didn't do. And the the man looked at him and said, well, well, Bob, uh, you're really young. I want to give you some advice, but you're never going to make it in the paper business if you don't socially drink, because that's the way you connect with people. And Bob said, well, then I just may not make it. Yeah, he didn't make it. <laughs> he took him over. And, um, you know, they, they lived in a nice house in Tuscaloosa, but nothing like you thought they'd live in. His wife drove a, a Honda Accord when she could have driven the nicest BMW around. You could hardly go to anywhere in that small city where someone had not been given money by Bob and Edith Keith. He was just an amazing man, gave the greatest, he was accorded the greatest honors in the paper business. His philosophy was this, his philosophy was you never make a buck or put yourself in a position by giving up your integrity. He just was not going to compromise his integrity. What he believed and taught was how he lived. Stephanie and I were young married then, struggling with lots of things in life. They were like parents to us. I'm going to tell you the darkest day of my life I spent with Bob Keith. And he loved me. And he believed in me. And when he should have and could have given up on me, he didn't. You see, that's what makes someone's life powerful. At the service, at the end of the service yesterday, an older man got up and led, led a prayer. And, and a friend of mine obviously wrote the prayer down. I try not to write during prayers. But a friend of mine wrote the prayer down and put it on Facebook last night. This was, it was an older man. He got up, and th- these, these were his words at the end of his prayer. Bob lived more than fourscore years. But the length of his life was not the most significant dimension. Rather, the depth of his spirituality, the breadth of his influence, and the height of his ideals. Wow. That's people that have an impact. The depth of his spirituality, the breadth of his influence, the height of his ideals. You see, Jesus was like that. Jesus lived it out. And that's when people change, is when they see it. Let me give you point number six. Jesus empowered them. Jesus would send them out. He'd check on them. 
When Jesus leaves this earth, he, he puts his, his whole cause into their hands. He empowers them through the Holy Spirit. Guys, it is such a risky move that Jesus takes here. And whenever you believe in people that are messed up like me and you, it's a risky move. Uh, you've probably heard the story of Jesus going back to heaven and, you know, the angels are all hovering around him and they're asking him what he did on earth. He tells about the virgin birth. He tells about the life he lived. Well, what did you accomplish, Jesus? I died on the cross for everybody's sin, you know. I've made a way for everybody to come and join us in heaven. And they go, yeah, that's cool, Jesus. And, 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 when, and who did you entrust this to? And he says, well, there's these 12 guys I picked, you know, and um, I, I gave it, I handed it over to them. And And the angels sort of shake their head because they knew him. And they said, well, what happens if they fail? And Jesus responds, I have no other plan. He empowered them. My friends, if these men had not lived it out, then the gospel of Jesus Christ would have died in their hands and the hands of a few women. But it exploded, and here we are today, 2,000 years later, still centering our life on Jesus. Okay, let's close out. Let me give you some things. First of all, here's the good news from these stories. This is how God treats us. You want to know how God treats you? Then watch the way Jesus treated those apostles. Jesus represents God. They represent us. I've told you before, that's the way I discovered grace. Because I didn't grow up in a church that thought God treated you this way. I grew up thinking you make one mistake. I was told this. You make one mistake and you're going to hell. You make one mistake and God's going to cut you off. If you can't get it together, you're gone. And then I I, I watched this. For some reason, I went to and And I saw and I heard a preacher ask those two questions once that changed my life. Who does God show us? Jesus. Who do the apostles show us? Us. And I thought, whoa, I might could do this. And that's why I tell you, if you want to know how God treats you, then, then stay in the Gospels. Listen to me. We just finished the Gospel of Mark, but here's the best advice I've gotten about Bible study. Don't ever stay very far away from the Gospels. Study the Old Testament, go back to the Gospel. Study an epistle, go back to the Gospel. Go to Revelation, but come back to the Gospel. That's why I'm so excited this fall in our adult Bible classes. We're going to be studying the Gospel of John. And I don't know what you're doing on Sunday morning after this, but you need to get yourself in there because you need to keep being close to Jesus because that's the way God changes you. You hang out with him, you learn of him, and you start becoming him. And that's the way God treats you. Now, here's the challenging note. Here's the challenging news. This is how we are to treat other people. How do we treat people? We see their potential. We look past their faults. We accept them as they are. We challenge them. We're patient with them. We live it out in front of them. And then we empower them. So this morning, we've come to what I call the so what time. Okay, you spent much in the book of Mark. So what? You've learned some new things about Jesus. So what? I don't know about you, but I learned some new perspectives I'd never seen about the cross. And about life. So what? So what? Is it just going to be an intellectual discourse that happened in our life? Let me ask you two questions. Can people tell that you have been with Jesus? Can people tell it? You know, with our children sometimes, when they're bad, around bad influences, there are times where I, I can say, you know what? I can tell you've been around this guy. I can tell it. I just can tell it in your attitude. 
The question is, can people tell we've been around Jesus by the way that we treat people, by the way that we forgive, by the way that we love, by the way that we pray? Can someone say, you know, buddy, I knew you before. There's no way you would have been this way. I, I, I look at this church. There's no way this church could do what they're doing. You guys are just a bunch of ordinary people. The, 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 only, the only thing that might be going on here that could explain it, only explanation is you guys have been with Jesus. And here's the way we're asking this question. Are you marked? You see, these guys were permanently marked by the gospel. I mean, the word marked means to be clearly defined, for it to be obvious, for it to be evident, for it to be very noticeable. Can I ask you, is it obvious to the people in your home? Is it obvious to the people where you work? Is it obvious to the people where you go to school? Is it obvious in your neighborhood? Is it obvious in this church that you have been marked by Jesus Christ? Have we spent six months in an intellectual exercise to be the same? Have we spent six months reading about Jesus, diving into Jesus, to be like Jesus? They looked at him. They were unschooled, ordinary men. They couldn't explain it. They're astonished until they remember they had been with Jesus. So today, if it's not evident in your life that you've been around Jesus, could you put down a marker today and ask the church to pray for you? Have have you been more influenced by other people you're around than by Jesus? Who's more informed your attitudes? Who's more informed the way you treat people? Is it Jesus or the culture we live in? Or maybe today you want to follow him. You have fallen in love with him, but you're thinking, oh my goodness, I need to behave first. I need to go get my life straight first. Oh no, you don't. Oh, you need to make your mind up about it. That's called repentance. But you don't have to behave to belong. He will accept you just as you are. So I want you to do something with me as we close out. Would you open your Bible to the book of Acts? Open your Bible, if you got your Bible, to the book of Acts. And we're going to pray together, and then we're going to sing. And if you need to mark your life today, as a follower of Jesus Christ, then why don't you come, let us pray for you. But before it, I want you to open anywhere. Let's open to Acts chapter 4, just where we were. I want you to put your hand on that verse, verse 13. They had been with Jesus. And I want you to pray with me. Lord God, Would you do it again? Would you do it again? Would you please do it again? God, we don't want to waste our lives. We want to be a part of what these guys were a part of. Please do it again. But God, today we recognize that the reason they were the way they were and the reason that church was the way it was is because they had been with Jesus. Lord, could Jesus become our best friend? Could he mold us and make us so that you can do it again? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you need to come, come right now while we stand and sing.